Headline Hollywood. Entertainment cronies and cinema elitists hand out awards for excellence in moving pictures. Sometimes the winners don't hold up to the test of time. So we're here in the future to tell them how they got it wrong. This is Switch the Envelope. Welcome to Switch the Envelope, the podcast that aims at rewriting Hollywood award history. My name is Corey. And my name is Jeff. Welcome back to the part two of our mega episode on the best original score from the Academy Awards of 1982. This episode features our guests from the Measuring the Score podcast. So we're going to jump right back into the episode. Hope you enjoy. Uh, Yes, welcome back. All right. That was a fun (laughs) break. But now... Onto the main event. 1982. Best original score at the Academy Awards. So, Corey, does this mean that all the movies came from 1982? Or does this mean that all the movies are from 1981? No, all the movies came from 1981 and are celebrated in an award show called the Academy Awards in 1982. So, does that mean that all the movies that we're going to go over are movies that were released in 1981? Technically, they are movies that were premiered somewhere in a theater someplace on the planet, according to Academy rules, in 1981. Yes. Okay, so this is the 1982 Academy Awards featuring films of 1981. I just want to make sure we're all clear about that. Corey? The original score. Now, difference between original song, original score. Original song is a lyrical component. Uh, It also is, you know, just has to appear somewhere in in the movie uh usually as an end credit it doesn't have to be connected to the film necessarily in a thematic way uh to be eligible whereas a film score is usually the undercurrent uh an audio cue to the story that you're watching right yes so for, first let, let's go over the modified metric our metric is broken into five different sections five different criteria each criteria if agreed upon by all parties, receive the, the film score in question will receive one finger for that criteria. There are four of us here. So each of our votes counts for a quarter of a point. So we can deal in quarter, half, three quarters, full, right? And, uh, you know, here, uh, getting a full finger, it's a good thing. <laughs> uh, there, there, like I said, there are five of them. If uh, a film does get a perfect score, which is five fingers, we also like to call that a switch the envelope high five. And that film uh, is in rare, rarefied air, as it were, because not a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of varying opinions on this show, and not a lot of films uh, or actors or otherwise get five fingers. So we'll see what happens tonight. In the event of a tie. We keep it very scientific here, just like our metric, and uh, moved to a rock, paper, scissors, Oscars <laughs> round. I know, visual visual medium on a podcast. That's how we roll. Uh, basically, one of us will represent one film. Another of us will represent another film. We'll do three rounds of rock, paper, scissors. Best of three wins. And whoever you're playing for is then officially awarded the uh, Oscar retroactively. Um, the internet needs to follow suit. It's uh, it's the rules. You know, Wikipedia pages need to be changed, so on and so forth. Here are the criteria uh, for. Wasn't that just the criteria? No, no, no. That was the sort of rules of how we're going to use this criteria. Here are the actual five uh, elements of things that we're okay. going to use. To so, score if you're still things. with us, guys, 
We're not at the criteria yet. <laughs> we got it right here. Number okay. one, one finger. Wait, are we starting, for... are we starting the criteria? Yes, right okay. now. Wait, right now? Right now. Okay, I'm just checking. Is the score memorable? When when you hear that score, or no, can you replay the score back in your head? Is it memorable? Or like with or uh, like earlier when um when we said Beverly Hills Cop, we all just started singing that. It's singing memorable. It. It's yes, memorable. Absolutely. Right. Number two. Is it uniquely part of that film's experience in that when you remember that film or rem when you remember that score, when you hear that score disembodied from the film, do you immediately think of the film? Is it, you know, uniquely tied to that film experience? So a good example of this would be a, like a song we were talking about. When you hear Purple Rain, do you think of Prince playing Purple Rain in the movie or do you just think of a song? Because frankly... Don't ever think, I of, think of a great this, album. I think of great. I never think of him playing that in the movie. I only remember a motorcycle from the film. I only I don't even. Yeah, the, the film sucked. I've never. Yeah, I'm I, like you remember that awesome cover art for that poster. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah. I just remember the cover of the album. I don't even remember the film. Anyway, <laughs> would it help? I've never seen it. <laughs> what? You, you don't need You've to. You've never fine. seen Purple Rain. It's fine. Never no, seen I have Purple never Rain. seen Purple Rain. I only know the song. That's it. That's one of the best soundtracks ever and we've explained on this show too before that the better the soundtrack the worse the movie yeah yeah <laughs> that's not the same with scores scores are completely different <laughs> but you can go down the line of all the great soundtracks and the movies just are shit yeah it's got a bomb ass <laughs> soundtrack that one, yeah that, that could be a bonus episode bonus yeah. episode patreon that for your patreon yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> compare and contrast <laughs> Uh, the number three criteria for the third finger, does it work with the film? This is one I borrowed from from your guys' show. Does does it work? <laughs> you know, as part of your, your guys' grading criteria. Uh, basically, does it match the tone? Does it match the theme? Um, does it fit in with, with the movie? Or is it clown music to a really dramatic scene? You know, like, does it feel <laughs> disconnected? Uh, let's see here. Uh, number four criteria, does it aid in storytelling? This is different from whether or not it works with the film in that when it works with the film, it, it has the right sort of color and timbre to the music. It swells when it needs to. And the fifth criteria, the fifth and final criteria for one of those perfect switch the envelope five fives. Uh, does it stand on its own without the film? Is it a nice piece of music to just listen to? Does it move or is it that fragmented? You know, well, they only wanted a piece of little happy stuff for 35 seconds. So is it just ominous that. tones yeah. or is it uh, Virgilis uh, <laughs> falling asleep on a synthesizer? Yeah. <laughs> and now the nominees for the 1982 category of best original score chariots of fire vangelis uh, i love that last name i just can't pronounce it next Papa film George. dragon slayer one of the best names for a movie ever to not live up to it score by <laughs> alex north <laughs> It really should have switched the name of Willow and Dragon Slayer. It should have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, that's funny. That's so funny. <laughs> wow. <laughs> On Golden Pond, score by Dave Grusin. Such Ragtime, score by Randy Newman. And then finally, Raiders of the Lost Ark, score by John Williams, the thief. <laughs> Although I don't believe he stole... He totally Raiders stole. of the Lost Ark. No, he may he have stole, stolen he stole Star, Star Wars. Wars. He stole Star Wars. I've not seen proof that he stole Raiders of the Lost Ark, though. Those are our uh, our nominees. Any any immediate responses to any of those nominees, guys? 
Uh, first off, Dragon Slayer, boring. <laughs> just what a very thing. interesting combination. You have a fantasy movie mixed with like a athletic movie mixed with a, a drama, I guess, on Golden <laughs> Pond, mixed with a musical. Yeah. Mixed with an adventure movie. <laughs> I think it's all like yeah. he's missing a horror movie in yeah, there. Yeah, seriously. But the Academy notoriously hates horror as a genre the way it hates comedy as a genre. I thought that Jennifer Jennifer Aniston should have won for Leprechaun so many times. Oh, yeah. Just for that one what? one time she was in Leprechaun. That so many years. Movie. What? I didn't know that. <laughs> she was in Leprechaun. She didn't, she didn't know yeah. she was in Leprechaun. She was in Leprechaun. Yeah. So Courtney got a role. Yeah. And Courtney Cox should have won for Masters of the Universe. What? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's been such... I saw that in the theater. So <laughs> You saw that in the theater? Yes. Wow. You're like so, a huge Dolph Lundgren fan back in the day? Tells <laughs> you how long ago it's been since I've seen that movie. Wow. I don't remember in it because I saw it in the theater. <laughs> yeah, she's like the star of that movie. Wow. Her and Dolph Lundgren. They, um, they just... They just released a trailer for a new Masters of the Universe. Yeah, yeah, the Star Dolph Lundgren? No, it's an animated. No, 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 a cartoon. Yeah, it's yeah. a cartoon. Oh. Or it's a series, yeah. But yeah. it looks just like the old 80s cartoon, and it's uh, executive produced by Kevin Smith. Yep. Movie number one. First on the list, Chariots of Fire. The winner. This, uh, this movie... The score was originally supposed to be a sort of love fest for um, Vangelis. I didn't feel like there was a score here. There was a main theme. And that was about it. So when I initially listened to it, the first thing that came to my mind, of course, you know, everybody knows the iconic theme and motif of Chariots of Fire. And even when I was in my young school band days, we even played that in band before. You know, everybody knows that theme so i'm like okay let's listen to chariots of fire let's see because you know that's the first thing that come to my mind was the theme and it's been a long time since i've seen the movie and i started listening to it and i'm like what is this (laughs) (laughs) i I, you know i'm I'm thinking of great things i'm like okay this is gonna be great and then i'm just like okay there's a sound here there's some synth here more synth here and i'm like why did they choose this as the winner in 1982? And, you know, I started to, to question, what was their motivation for choosing this <laughs> as the winner in 1982? And Drugs. I'm like... It's cocaine, <laughs> and they were fanboying out over a, a, a composer, yeah. So the first thing that I thought of, well, maybe because it was kind of state-of-the-art, you know, at the time, you know, it, it had this kind of synth sound to it, which was, you know, as the, the 70s ended and the 80s begun, you know, they started getting more into that synthesized sound. But it, it's been around for a while because in the 60s, they used synthesizers. I mean, listen to some of the Doors, you know, work. Right. They, they used Ooh. synthesizers Ooh. in the 60s. Kind of. Um, I mean, they were using this is a specific synthesizer sound that was specific to the eighties. Yeah, it's so, a real raspy. Exactly. It's it's not but, like so. that that sound hadn't been you know reinvented, but it. So I I was at a loss. I'm like, well, I I didn't see anything spectacular about the rest of the score other than you know the theme. Well, I mean, the what? the way I knew of Vangelis or Vangelis or however you pronounce his name was a uh, Blade Runner. You know, and I was like, wait, wait, he did Chariots of Fire? And I was like, okay. So I'm sitting down listening to the score. And when it starts up, I hear the synthesizer coming in. And then I hear the piano. I'm like, okay, everybody knows this theme. Of course, first thing I think of when I hear the theme is 
National Lampoon's vacation. <laughs> Running towards Wally World. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's pushing his own son backwards because he was losing. So that was the first thing. So I'm driving in the car and I'm listening to the score and I started laughing. And, and I was like, no, I'm supposed to be, you know, like really thinking about the score. But I, I couldn't help it. I started laughing because it's used so much for parodies now that you lose sight of that. So I was like, okay. So I started skipping tracks and then nothing else stood out. Yeah. Nothing. The rest not of the score did not stand out. And then when you find out it's for the 1920s, it's like, okay, yeah, this does <laughs> not work. A 1980s synthesized orchestra raspy brass coming in for, you know, the 1920s runners. This makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, I I laughed audibly out loud when <laughs> the opening like they go to the funeral for you know the the the, the main guy at yeah, the beginning yeah. and they kind of fade to black and then there's the slow-mo shot of them running in the sand and then you just hear that <laughs> dun, 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 in heavy synth the under, undercurrent. I actually am going to say that I uh, liked this score. I so like the song. I will say that Maybe it's maybe the producers and writers of the score use this, uh, such a contemporary song for this because they wanted this to be a film that was it would transcend. It would transcend just 1920s generations. No, I mean, that's actually something they sure. might have thought. They might have sure. thought that this is not something that should be feel like it's staying in 1920s it should have people feeling like it's something they can relate to now or 1981. But if you look at the score. You just look at the sheet music, just peel away all your complaints about the synthesizers and whatever, and just look at the sheet music, because that's what's really being judged here by the Academy. Right. This song is one of the most memorable songs in film history. So you just say Chariot's Fire and you can sing it. So number and, one, is it memorable? Yeah. And parody, by, and parody is like how you know that you've achieved something. Once right. you've been parodied by everything, that's how you know you have just become <laughs> number one. So to you've me, what? I said, you've transcended. They parodied you and you've transcended. Exactly. I mean, that's what Kurt Cobain said about Weird Al using him on his album right. when he, it's that once somebody is parodying you, that means you are you've just another it. level. Yeah. <clears throat> and this song is, this song was also, I think, used in Mr. Mom. I think they use it in, in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, it in was it. Mr. Mom. <laughs> so so I, I do think that. All right, sorry, so what? Is it, it memorable? Was another John Hughes production. Yeah. I agree. I agree with you. It is memorable. So a quarter from me, a quarter from you. How how, how say you measuring the score? It's memorable. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with memorable because, yeah. like, you know, just talking about, you know, parodies and everything else. So, yeah, it's the highest form of flattery. So, yeah, it is memorable because as soon as you hear that, you think of, you know, <laughs> you, you you do recognize the theme. You do recognize the song. So yeah, it's and it's you memorable. also just think of people running. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no matter exactly. what, if it's parody or not, you're thinking of people running. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Or or the 2012 <laughs> Olympic Games because yeah. they use the theme exclusively for that because it was set in England and the whole film. That's if you don't know, the true. film is uh, about uh, English runners in yeah. the 20s. But if you think about the beat, you know, the beat that they established in the theme at the very beginning and think about how feet sound when they hit the ground, when they run. I mean, he, he put some thought into the song when he when he made it. Obviously, you can tell, um, even though it's got the more modernistic sound to it, you know, even though he fell asleep on one of the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, go going back to the sheet music, like it would have been way more because it is a beautiful melody. I like give it, it that. It really like, is. It's a, a wonderful melody and the dynamics of the way it, it, it sort of builds and, you know, sort of crescendos and and builds a 
feeling is great. But if they had just well, if you, you can scored it. it traditionally because they weren't doing that for the rest of the film. <laughs> That's my issue with it. If they if they had kept the synth as like this is the way we're, we're doing our entirety of the score. But no, we go right into like marching bands and choral music and like <laughs> stuff of the era. And most of it is soundtrack stuff that's happening with characters on screen, not a score underneath everything. Well, you can hear you can hear it like you can hear it, how it would sound if it was like orchestral. So I here's mean, the thing. I didn't know that it was super synth until I watched the movie, because in my brain, I was remembering all of the parodies and stuff of it. Like I knew the melody before I even watched this movie. And then when I watched that's why I laughed out loud. I was like, wait a minute. This is like super synthy. <laughs> like, how does that make sense? Did I get the wrong version? Is like I was so confused. <laughs> so confused. Well, it was there was like another there was another track on there. I think it was uh, Eric's theme when it was coming in and he was trying so hard to make it sound like an orchestral score but with the synthesizer it's like just have an orchestra don't do the yeah. synth i mean <laughs> guaranteed they had the budget for it on this film well, yeah definitely <laughs> you know is it uniquely a part of that film's experience yes yeah. yeah when you hear it it brings you back to the movie you still yeah. think about runners yep yeah. bottom line i mean you can't think of it without thinking about runners <laughs> The, yeah, the problem slow motion running. <laughs> All you do is think about slow motion. Right. It's that's, that's, running. That's even in parodies, even in parodies, is always slow motion running. But I would argue that <laughs> it's only an opening credit number and a ending credit number. It doesn't have anything to do with the film. The thing that you remember is only it. It's not any part of the film that that part of the score is in. No, all you hear about uh, when you say chariots fire, all you think of is slow motion running. That's all you think of. I'm just saying, I, I, I have a bone to pick with that particular theme because it doesn't appear in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> just at the very beginning of the end. Now, number three <laughs> is actually what you were talking about for number two. See. <laughs> okay, so does it work for the film? No. No. <laughs> no. I don't think it works for the film, no. Because it's not in the film. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 rest point the, score, the rest of the score doesn't even I work. See, for the film. I don't see why it does not work for the film. It's because it's super. Oh, synth you know what? For it's 1920s. super synth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, I, yeah. So that's a big use for yeah. number three. Uh, number four, does it aid in the storytelling? <sighs> Is the uh, score I'm, effective? And it, now, not just the theme, the ambient synthesizer stuff in the middle of it, too. Does that aid in the storytelling? I feel like it, it falls short, in my opinion. It, it, it's not. Um, I feel like they, they needed to add a little bit more complexity to the score in order to aid in the storytelling. Um, because yes. there are pieces that, to me, in my opinion, were not complex enough for the story. There, there could have been so much more added to it. I mean, even if, okay, you're going to stay with the synth. Okay. You know, you can still create the feeling and emotion with a synthesizer. I mean, there, there's plenty yeah. of, you know, plenty of synth scores out there that still have the emotional moment. But this one, there was a lot of moments where they didn't have that in there. It's kind of flat. Yeah. yeah. I'm giving it a quarter finger. All right. So you're, you're going to, you're going to say that it aided in storytelling. I think it did. You're saying that the emotional impact of that, those opening melodies carried through the entire film. I do. <laughs> because of running. So I'm at a no. Uh, are we both at a no over here? Oh, yeah. No, we're definitely no. at a no. Because yeah. <laughs> what do you need to know about this film? You know that it's about running and dying, right? <laughs> Whenever you see somebody slow motion running or dying, you think of Chariots of Fire. Dun, 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 dun. 
Oh, wait, hang on. Let me slowly backwards, you know, die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to remember, though, when they were running in 1924, they had synthesized music playing. In- <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> because Marty McFly went back and gave it to him. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. The time they continuum. Gave- it makes sense. The secrets of the electronic music. <laughs> Even though Marty McFly wouldn't get the time machine for four more years. <laughs> no, no. See, but, but time is irrelevant at that point. He can okay. go back to 1920 and 1924, respectively, at any time once he's gotten the DeLorean. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the Future 4. <laughs> deliver synth music to Chariots of Fire. Does it stand on its own without the film? I think the okay, main yes. theme does. It absolutely yeah, does. It absolutely does. This is one of the one things where you can go, yeah, that one, you can he- listen to this and it stands on its own. But the score as a whole has a whole chunk. Where and this is what I was talking about. This is what I was asking you about because, yeah, because you can say the same thing about Indiana Jones. Yeah, you can. I, I would say that like <laughs> the main the main chunk of the score then would be relatable to like put it in your CD and listen to like, you know. Because you're not the, listening to the, the in the jungle theme on Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, you're not just listening to, you know, so. You know. Just sort of jump, 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 jump on violins for four minutes while they are running through a. Every once in a while, you hear a flute. Yeah, exactly. Whenever there was action on the screen, he would just point to to a flautist, do a trill. This one does stand on its own outside of the film. Obviously, with all the parodies, I think it kind of does. Yeah, yeah. Because that also goes back to number one or is it memorable so yeah so yeah and you realize that this have to be memorable to stand out on just after doing this the first time you realize that this metric actually makes bad films come out pretty good (laughs) jeff this is science and it's i'm just saying i'm sorry sorry (laughs) (laughs) no peer reviews all right final score for chariots of fire score is three and a quarter finger this is the first time we've ever had a quarter finger congratulations Yay, our first hey. quarter finger. Three and a quarter. Movie number two. All right. Two Dragon Slayer. My oh, favorite no. title. We should just jump right to this movie. This is dumpster <laughs> fire of a movie. So when I started listening to this score, I'm a big fantasy person. I love fantasy. And I used to love reading the Dragonlance books. I don't know if y'all you remember Dragonlance. You know, when I see the title Dragon Slayer, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be awesome. No. So my notes that I have, I'm going to read verbatim what I wrote down. Uh Uh-oh. I I have no (laughs) idea what these are. I didn't know about these. Score (laughs) starts off like old horror movie. Reminds me of Dark Shadows, the original. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever watched the original Black and White Dark Shadows? You know, that... Just the... Well, it starts off with that really low. Yeah. yeah. Kind of reminded me of those old horror movies with that, you know. That, I was telling Corey, that, I was telling Corey, it reminded me of like old Peter or how Peter and the Wolf was set up, but badly. <laughs> so do you remember oh, the, how Peter and the yeah. Wolf, they tried to set up the the instruments to represent certain things? Yeah. And they use a lot of oboe and bassoon huh? and. That's kind of what this reminded me of, only done and badly. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I picked out the oboe right away. I said, oh, this is a clarinet section. Here's the oboes. I hear the oboes here. Um, but uh, so my second, <laughs> my second note point, score seems unimpressive to me, lacking depth in places. This it score flat. quickly becomes completely irrelevant. 
in the film when you're watching the film. Well, if you, uh, to be honest, this score sounds a lot like I think he, I think whoever, I, I don't, who did the, the score? Uh, Alex North. Okay. So I think Alex North was kind of, I don't know if it predates or not. It sounds a lot like Dune and Mad Max so and funny a you would bad say version, that, a bad version of uh, the Conan Barbarian theme. But the Conan yeah. Barbarian theme have, is actually really good. Conan, the Clash of the Titans, the old fantasy movies of the day. It, yeah, it has a very old school, old school feel. Yeah. So yeah. I looked up the composer, and it says he was notable and composed movies such as A Streetcar Named Desire. Now you remember that had oh, Marlon wow. Brando in it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Spartacus. Yeah, I knew about Spartacus. And Cleopatra. Yeah. So again, old school. Old school. <laughs> and. Yeah. He had written multiple pieces for 2001 A Space Odyssey that were replaced. Yeah, because he didn't. Yeah. So a lot of the music that appear in Dragon Slayer are just reworked pieces from 2001 A Space Odyssey that he wrote. That so, opening number that you hear at the beginning of Dragon Slayer was supposed to be a part of the Dawn of Man section of 2001 A Space Odyssey. And then they decided to just go without a score there. So they were just like, sorry, you're out of a job, that makes sense with the sound, because to me, that opening piece did not even fit anything else in the rest of the score. No. Um, yes. it, it was it was too dramatic for, you know, I, I would say even for a fantasy film. Um, and it had that that old school feel to it. So here's yeah. my thing. What what other films was out there in 1982 that they picked out this score? Is that oh we're going to nominate this? It's because, I think it's because this fellow here has won awards before. I mean, it's, yeah, it's because he did a streetcar named Desire and he did Spartacus, Spartacus and he did yeah. Cleopatra. We're just like give Alex a, a nod. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did Dragon Slayer. I mean, that's yeah. the coolest name ever. It's the only yeah. thing Dragon Slayer will be nominated for. But uh, yeah. I think they also got like visual effects or something like that. You expect Rain of Fire and you get. Dragon Slayer. Yeah, Dragon Slayer. <laughs> and, Slayer. And the thing is, I, I remember every time this would come on as a kid on HBO or something, and I'm like, oh, look, Dragon Slayer. Let's see what this is about. And the first thing I see is Peter McNichol from Ghostbusters 2 up there. And yeah. He's the lead actor. And I'm going, no, <laughs> no, no, this does not work for me because the first thing I think of, I think of Janusz from, Janusz from Ghostbusters yep. 2 going, yep. no, 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 get away from that. Vigo. And, I mean, that's the first it's thing. Vigo. It's Vigo. <laughs> Beagle, you know, no, no. So that, that right there is an immediate turnoff for me because I I cannot picture that guy in anything other than that or numbers. So <laughs> I was like, this this movie does not work for me. And in the score, I remember as a kid, I'm going, the score does not work. The score is not making me want to watch this movie. And I I would always turn it off. But I'm like, you know what? No, I'm gonna try to finish this movie because it's got the greatest name ever. No, never worked. You still never finished. I still never finished it. <laughs> I had to finish it for this, but you know, no, I just couldn't do it, man. It was, it was. It reminds it was me of so a bad, never-ending story. It's, but. it's B yeah. movie level. All right, let's run this through the metric. <laughs> Is the score memorable? Hmm. No, 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 not really. Mm -mm. Uh, is it uniquely a part of the film experience? I mean, it's a bad film with with uh, poorly placed score pieces that were recycled from other movies. So, kind of. <laughs> In that, uh, I would give it a zero for that. It is uniquely a dumpster fire. <laughs> I think the movie isn't good enough to be memorable with a score. I watched this film and I can barely remember it. Like yeah. I watched it literally four days ago. I can barely remember oh. what happened. Yeah, so I'm I'm saying no. That's a big you sag for that. All right, number three. Does it work with the film? Match the tone and the theme? No, too no. heavy. Yeah, way yeah. too heavy. 
as I mentioned before, Monty Python and the Holy Grail has a better theme than Dragon's Oh, Slayer. it's epic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it like matches, this is real you know, regal. The adventure parts and the yeah. night and the regalness. No, this this does not do any of that. Uh, all right. Does it aid in storytelling? Now, this oh. movie's score was broken down into very specific themes that they were trying to pair to aid storytelling, but did it work? No. I'm going to I'm going to go with no, because it it there were moments in there where it did help with emotional bits, though. I mean, I, I feel bad like for the that. movie, so I'm going to give it a quarter finger. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to give it a quarter finger. That All right. We'll go with a half a finger, half a half a finger. Yeah, we'll yeah I, I feel like the, I feel like the Paula Abdul of American Idol right now. You did your best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, what's she on now? Like X? What? She's on something else. Something now. dance? Something? No. Masked? Masked dancer? Masked dancer or something? Yeah. yeah, I'm the Paul Abdul of Max dancer. All right, now here's where it could it could potentially get points in the in the final category. Would it stand up on its own, not looking at the film or it trying to match to anything, but like as a piece of music, does it stand up on its own? I'm gonna go with yes because you 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 could listen to it and you could you know get. A, a different story in your head just listening to it. So I'm I'm going to go with yes. I'm going to go with yes too because on its own to me it sounded more experimental uh, than anything. Because you uh, you know as we mentioned we had the oboe element. Uh, I heard some uh, clarinet elements there. Uh, of course the brass. The brass, but the way it was written to me kind of translated more as an experimental as opposed to you know a uh, say a romantic piece or a. Uh, uh, a renaissance piece or something like that but in that instance it still would stand on its own yep yeah yeah i think it, it actually has pretty nice dynamics in its movements um you know actually setting different the different themes that it wants to set it just didn't work back to the movie but i think full finger on that if one. that was if this was played by dragon force yes <laughs> and then <laughs> exactly i would love this yeah just like video game music <laughs> exactly perfect perfect rendition that's got one and a fourth yeah. finger nailed it it's got one and a half fingers for oh, one and a half. Which, eh, yeah movie number three All right, moving on to our, our next film. On Golden Pond. Can we just go ahead and say no? I don't know. I'm, I'm... Look, <laughs> this movie's score played out like a Elevator lifetime music? Uh, movie from the 80s. Very like a TV sad. movie. Have y'all watched the movie? It's like the most <laughs> yes, sad yeah. movie in the whole universe. And I I'm mean, like, it's... music has made me relive the sadness of this movie. <laughs> There's like a pond and there's like lots it's of gold. Yeah. Old and Henry people. Fonda. There's like people. old people. Like Catherine like, Hepburn shaking a little bit. I think yeah. they're on the golden pond. <laughs> there's a very pretty part uh, of this music that I liked. But but stage. they could, I think they definitely developed this score to sell to Muzak for fine dining restaurants. <laughs> or elevators at, wow. at the Ritz-Carlton. Elevators for the Ritz. I mean, it's got a very nice... Uh, you know, sort of piano melody that that runs yeah. through. It's very yeah, pleasant it, it really melody. It's, it's a really pleasant melody because I had never heard the score up until I listened to it for this, and I was like, "Wow, this is really great!" And when I found out it was Dave Bruson who did the Goonies, yeah, I was like, "Well, okay, this is you know really interesting." And but then when you watch the movie, it's it's in there, but it's like 
it's just, very emotional. It's, the same thing. it's oh. emotional music. You could tell it's it, it was geared towards emotion and evoking emotion. It's solid in that fact. Um, there's not I, there's not much to it. There's not enough. There's really not much to it though. It's, it's Bruce and unplugged. I thought it was like <laughs> bizarre that they didn't have any other instruments added in there. You didn't hear any piano. variations. You just hear you you know you heard this nice piano. You know it's very underproduced, and I don't like that. I don't. <laughs> It, well, probably, there there is instruments. some support of strings that come in occasionally, but they're not. Right. They're just sort of, you know, background players yeah, to that could piano. Be one of those aspects, though, of like we talked about on our podcast, where not much score was needed. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just wanted to tell the story yeah. and have like mood music. Because there's instances, for example, where Chris, he goes and scores a movie. And uh, I think it was a horror movie that he did once. And they said, no, I just want minimalistic music and, and Chris is like to, well this is a horror movie he's like i just want some minimalistic music in the background i want the story to tell itself and so Chris i, I like, basically had to go back and just scale everything back and just have like, like a lone violin yeah one live violin playing one note very very low and bass and everything else and that was it i have a rule if there's no oboe it's no go <laughs> all right <laughs> so that's where i'm at with on golden especially Bond. if you're gonna do a movie that Features ducks exactly. <laughs> you need a bassoon at least. Yeah. Exactly at least. because the bassoon right. was the duck in Peter and the Wolf, right? So hello, contrabass in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, right. Gonna have a contrabass when he goes flying through the air. <laughs> <laughs> Is the score memorable? No. No, not no. really. Yeah, I don't think it is. Actually, there. You know, I'm actually gonna give it a point because. There's a part in the main theme where I don't know how far into the main theme there is, but it's very recognizable, but it's not the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, you can get a quarter quarter finger. Nah, never mind. All right, zero. <laughs> you wouldn't hear it and go, oh, that's cool. On Golden Pond. <laughs> well, see, okay. Oh, that's is really this score uniquely a, a part of the film experience? When you hear the score. Yes, I'm going to give it a point for that. Do you feel on Golden Pond? Yes. I mean, you'd yeah. have to see it first, I suppose. Yeah, I would give it that. But, you know, everybody has seen Golden Pond. Well, it used to play it on Disney Channel all the time. Really? I think it was Disney. I don't Grandpa dying that. on the Disney Channel? That's... Yeah, I, I'll say, yeah, it is a uniquely part of the movie. So, yeah. I mean, it is a pretty I, unique score for a movie to just be... Yeah, it really is. You know, I, I don't think we get that again, really, until, like... I mean, like, Forrest Gump has sort of that, like, really mellow piano part and then it gets you know, you know yeah, but Forrest Gump is just it's but. just has so much music that's in it that's not yeah that's true it's got a lot of soundtrack on, on it too well, but that, uh, that like away, Forrest Gump theme feels very much like you know I know cast he's saying Castaway for oh Castaway too yeah, yeah, yeah well yeah they wanted the minimalists yeah that and that's that's just Alan Silvestri going on the piano with like light strings so that's very on Golden Pond right there so yeah, yeah. very similar all right yeah. uh does it work with the film does it match the tone and the theme absolutely I agree. Yeah. yeah. I, yes, I wish definitely. that it had been used a little more effectively, but that goes into the next part. Um, and with more yes, oboe. I, I do feel like the simple keys, <laughs> the really like relaxing tone that it set really like yeah. it was the theme of the pond. And that's why they kept only yeah, showing the retirement, the pond you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So we're all in agreement there. Yes. Does it aid in the storytelling? No, not in my opinion. I think it could have been. Uh, more depth added. I'm always about depth. More depth 
added to it uh, in order to aid in the storytelling. And as you said, you have these climatic moments in the story where you would like to hear maybe a catharsis in the music and there's nothing. Yeah. I concur. Yeah, there, there were moments where they they tried to make it work, but because the theme was the same the entire way through, there was only certain emotional moments that it would really connect to. And so it doesn't do a whole lot to the film. It really felt like interludes in between scene changes to me. So it's a no I, started to give, I started to give it half a finger, but yeah, no, definitely. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's basically the same thing over and over. <laughs> Sometimes it has strings, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, really like, it's the beginning, middle, or end of that same sort of right. general refrain. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, no. All right, no. no points. And then finally, does it stand on its own without the film? I think it's a lovely piece of music. You can, yeah. It, yeah, because I, I heard the piece first. So, yeah, I, it, it could definitely work on its own because it would just tell, it would tell its own story when you've listened to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it was recorded by Dragon Force... <laughs> It would definitely stand on its own. If he added lyrics to it and started singing, you have a friend in me. So right here, right Randy here. Hold on. We're getting yeah. to that. <laughs> uh, right here on the podcast, there needs to be a Dragon Slayer remake with music by Dragon Force. So Exactly. I'm going to hit them up. Movie number four. All right. Our next film, our penultimate film on the list here. Ragtime. Oh boy! Is, uh, tell us how oh wait, many yeah, points. yeah. How, how many is oh, uh, three? Three fingers. Okay. Three okay. solid fingers. Uh, Ragtime, composed by Randy Newman. Oh, I kept waiting to hear that every time the piano <laughs> played in this movie. I, I was telling Jeff before we started here too, like the little ragtime little riff would happen, and then I was just waiting for it to resolve. But da 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 da. I was waiting for that the entire time. That's a very good impression. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. It's almost spot on. Uh, it's the only impression I really do 100% is uh, Randy Newman, but he's not in hot demand. So, you know, except for this particular episode. <laughs> this particular moment in time. I mean, and all of his songs sound the same. You know, you just rattle through all of his melodies and just splice together all of his... Uh, is that what uh, his Family Guy did? When they, they were they lost might have, yeah. yeah. They were yeah. lost somewhere and, and, and he just kept playing like... I love it. He just kept playing everything and just changing the yeah. It was yeah, the same song over and over again. And really, so this score is the same Randy Newman song over and over it again. Really you're going to hear for another three decades. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is the score to Ragtime memorable? No, I don't. I didn't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think so. Is it uniquely a part of that film's experience? I think yes. Yes, I know. I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with yes, definitely. I, yeah, I felt like those characters lived in a ragtime song, like a ragtime <laughs> yeah. melody, you know, that entire movie. All right. So we're, we're good with <laughs> we're good with it being uniquely a part of the film's experience. Yes. Everybody in agreement. One finger. All right. One finger for Randy Newman. Uh, does it work with the film? I think also, yes, because of similar yeah. points. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, it definitely. Works. I'm going to say no. Oh, just to be <laughs> because I think when you're talking about ragtime, you could have gone a different way. More ragtimey. Way more ragtimey. I don't mm-hmm. think this song is that ragtimey. I don't think this score is that ragtimey. I mean, I think it's very what, contemporary. Not, yeah, I think it's what 1980s thought was ragtime. I think it's but, what Randy Newman thought was ragtime. Yeah. 
And it sounds very Randy Newman. All right. So, well, you, know, you know, when we were, we were talking about ragtime, I said, you know, ragtime means ragged beat. I said it came from that ragged beat sound in the 20s, which means syncopation. You know, we've talked about yeah. syncopation yeah, on our show before where the beat occur or the, the note occurs off beat. And that was really a big part of ragtime. So you had that ragged beat and I was expecting to hear that ragged beat at least somewhere in the score because of the name ragtime and i didn't hear it <laughs> not only that but the piano he's playing is too randy newman piano there's no <laughs> there's no style to the to the piano because you know they all people have always said that their only way to get elton john's sound is to have elton john playing it right but you have to have a, a ragtime piano player on a special piano to get that sound so if you have randy newman playing on a piano it's not gonna sound like ragtime it's gonna sound like randy newman playing on a piano the I was expecting upright pianos everywhere, and there were all like full grand pianos everywhere. <laughs> Maybe grand. Oh. Well, no, but I'm, I'm, but seriously, there should be a certain sound to ragtime that, that didn't come out. Energy, in this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so are, technology. Anybody really... repealing their their vote now? <laughs> I never gave it my vote. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think it works for the the premise of the film, but you know, I don't think that it works for the name of the movie. No, <laughs> it's totally different. Don't all call right, it ragtime right. if you're not going to have ragtime music in it. Exactly. <laughs> ragtime-ish. Diet right. ragtime. It's you know, ragtime rag adjacent. It's uh, Randy Newman's ragtime. That's, that's <laughs> Randy that's Newman's ragtime. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it's like a forceful discussion he's having with the piano. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's just I love it. He's angry at his hands. That's, that's the way he sings. He's angry at his hands. <laughs> He's angry at his hands. That broke me. <laughs> he's going to be gone for a minute. So <laughs> it's the way he sings. Like he's just looking at his hands oh and he's just, oh, God. God. Guys, you have Chris crying. Oh, man. <laughs> Chris cried for the night. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, just, or, you know. Yeah. Wow. Uh, does, the, does the score aid in storytelling? I would say yes for this. Yes. One. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Uh, does the score stand out on its own? Now, I think that instrumental Randy Newman is probably better than regular Randy Newman because... Oh, I don't. Come on. His Randy voice, Newman's, his Randy voice is hard good. to listen to. If it was an entire like album, <laughs> I can't get through an entire album of Randy Newman. I can get through like one song. <laughs> Two songs. If it's playing, you know, while toys are coming to life, that's one thing. This is 1981. People haven't heard. I know. Toy Story. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with no. It doesn't work on its own because I mean I, I how I how we always do it for our podcast. We always listen to the score first and then we watch the film, and that's what we did for this. You know, and no, I, there was nothing memorable for this. I'm just like, eh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> So that's a big goose egg for Randy Newman. No. <laughs> I don't love it. <laughs> Two and three quarters fingers. Our first three quarters fingers. Congratulations, you guys. You just gave us Yay! our first three quarter finger. All right. And now for the epic off. conclusion. We're not going to be able to do that, by the way. What your do you hand mean? only has three. Two and three quarters. No, I'm saying look at your finger. Oh, yeah. There's only three sections. It's just the fingernail missing. Movie number five. <laughs> All right. Uh, now for the thrilling conclusion. Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Yay! Or (laughs) retroactively titled Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. All right, this is uh, scored by John Williams, the one and only Star Wars thief himself. (laughs) We're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that because John Williams scores are pretty epic in, in their general nature. How do you guys feel like he matched up on Raiders of the Lost Ark? You want to go first? <laughs> Tell you what. How about this one? I'll go first because okay. you're, you're. We all know you're a big John Williams fan. Oh, be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> well, for Raiders, I mean, because uh, by this time you already had Star Wars out and everything else and uh, Jaws, so John Williams was pretty well known, and everybody was really. Everybody knows the Indiana Jones theme by by now. But when you go back and watch Raiders now, it doesn't start with, you know, dun, 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 dun. you know, it, it starts off with a very dark sound to it with the jungle and everything else. So, I mean, it was it was a lot different, uh, especially listen to it on its own. There were a lot of moments when there was like, whoa, this is a little dark for John Williams here. <laughs> and it was it was also dark for the film. But then you've got these very lighthearted, actiony adventure moments in there where it almost doesn't work for the film but at the same time it works wonderfully for the film yes so you know when i started listening to it because you know chris just has to ruin it for me yes i'm a john (laughs) williams fan um but honestly who isn't really that that aside well you know john williams he's 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 very good at utilizing the orchestra to you know convey what message he wants you know it's like a, a writer See, I'm a technical writer, for example. So, you know, a lot of my reports are scientific. If I go and write a story, it would be the tree has green, you know, <laughs> the tree has green bark, period. I can't go into, you know, like five pages of a description of a tree. But John Williams is like that, but with music. He can take that music and he can and make it how he wants to convey the mood or how he wants the audience to think about something in the movie. And I felt like even listening, you know, Chris mentioned the beginning of the Raiders. Um, I like to sit down and listen to a score and see if I can visualize what's happening. Granted, I have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark 70 zillion times, Uh, you know, who hasn't. Um, But when I sat down, I started listening to the score you know, it had like this mystery sound to it. So you knew that it was going to build up to something, you know, I still got those feelings uh, that uh, he was building to something greater at the very beginning, you know, that there's going to be a catharsis somewhere, you know, where you're going to have a resolution. And then, you know, later in the score, you had the memorable, you know, Raiders March, you know, I, I've played that in school too. I've played chariots of fire in school. I've played all that sheet music in school. Um, but you had this memorable buildup and then conclusion. I, I think that in his entirety, it was a great score. It, w- it was wonderful. I, I granted, I am a fan, but I didn't find fault with it at all. I didn't. Yeah, it, it is one of those scores where, you know, we talked about Back to the Future and, and like when, when you guys were, were, were going over that score, like you had to kind of like divorce yourself from the fandom of right. it. It, it is very much, very much one of those. I think just as hard as something like Back to the Future for me, too, like Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, like those like core 80s movies um, that all had super epic driving, you know, um, themes and um, 
great instrumentation in their scores. Uh, the epic adventure, you know, uh, genre of of movies in the eighties were like the upper echelon of you know my youthful viewing <laughs> time. Mm -hmm. right. So it's very very hard to to divorce myself from from the geekdom. But yeah, I I don't know. I I think there there are wonderful little moments in here that make this score incredibly balanced. He's dipping that brush into every you know color that is necessary to create what needs to be audibly moving us through the visuals that you know Steven Spielberg and, and them are, are putting on. He keeps it light and he keeps it moving because switching between uh, genres like that and motifs like that, it's very easy to muddy down something or to make it sluggish or to make it sound, you know, horrific. Jarring. Jarring, right. Yeah, and he does yeah. it in such a way that the transitions are very smooth. There's a continuity. It continues to flow. And he doesn't break that up. So he doesn't break up that that train of thought. I mean, he doesn't um, pull you out of the scene. You're, you're, you know, more immersed in the scene even more after, you know, his score is put in there. And you, you said it perfectly when you said that he's painting with music. He, he really is, especially with this movie right here. Because, like, I was talking about how it starts off very dark with the jungle stuff and everything else. And it it really, the rest of the film, he, he's just, you know, painting on the canvas for the audience every time it's just you know he's just driving the imagery home every time every scene well counterpoint <laughs> <laughs> i knew this was coming he's just sitting here seething like i think john williams is actually a um a fantastic um arranger and i think he's a very fantastic writer <clears throat> but for me that brush that he's painting with he's grabbing the paint out of home depot and running out the door <laughs> without paying for it. And, and I feel that he's does a lot of borrowing from classic music without a lot of crediting, crediting from his work. Yeah. If he was a comedian, he'd be Carlos Dane Cook. Mencia? He'd oh, be Dane, Dane Cook. All right, yeah. So I just feel that he takes a lot of elements of other, a lot of melodies, small melodies, but still he takes a lot of elements of different classical music from different people to build his, I don't know. Maybe it's like he thinks that the uh, homage. Yeah, I don't think it's an homage. I actually think he takes like the music together and says, this is going to work really well with my with my arrangement. It's going to sound really good. And I want it to sound like this. But he comes so close to the line that it feels like he's just taking stuff from people. So that's why yeah. I don't like him that much. Horner Horner was accused of that and a lot of stuff. And uh, Horner had a way of uh, taking, uh, I think, was it? Uh, Honey, I shrunk the kids. He, yeah. he actually took that uh, main theme. Yeah, no, he did get from another place. Uh, caught for that, and he got caught for it. Yeah. So they do do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, uh, no, I'm not. Of, yeah. If you listen to Holt's Planets, it is yeah, Mar. The theme, theme of Mars March, is yeah. the Imperial March. I mean, there's no yeah. way around yeah. that. Yeah, but you know, you're talking about planetary a movie about planetary things. He might have planned that. <laughs> you know, on purpose because you got this movie with these themes. Oh, I absolutely think you did. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Some of these great writers, they do take, because they're writing so many movies and there's such a big score they're doing. I think sometimes they do take from different areas and they go, okay, well, this is going to work really well for this. And I think it, I don't think they look at their work as, as so much like a piece of like a composition. I think they look at it as how will this work in my, in this movie. And when that happens, I think sometimes they, sure. And, yeah. you know, according, I mean, like even the Academy of Rules is like you can you can have existing pieces incorporated into your work. You just have to have a majority, you know, or like a super majority of it be originally arranged. 
there are still even moments now of composers that do that because like brian tyler uh there is there was like the final destination five theme for example that is straight up from Hans zimmer's the dark knight and then Tyler Bates, for for example, the, the majority of his score, if not all of it, was taken from Elliot Goldenthal for Titus. And, you know, he got caught for that. So Warner Brothers had to issue an apology. So going by that right there, what you're saying, yeah, I mean, it happens all the time and it's still happening to this day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it happens yeah. with all musicians. Yeah. So yeah. it's just well, there's only the one thing. so many notes in a scale and a. You know. I don't accept that. But I'm just saying. but when you're but with your uh I don't know with with John Williams that's the one thing I have about him that I'm like well maybe I give him an asterisk for his <laughs> his his greatness his, his juiced. But I do think that his I do agree with all of you guys and what you say about him because all of his themes are just epic. Yep. I do like you can listen to him and they're just amazing. Yeah. All right, let's run. Let's run John Williams to the ringer now. I have uh So how does he compare to Chariots of Fire? <laughs> oh no. All right, here we go. Last score through the metric. Is the score for Raiders I feel like I don't even have to ask this question. Is the score for Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark memorable? Uh, definitely. You know the answer to that. But Oh no! This is what I said before. Nope, nope. unacceptable. No, 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 because not every single part of that score is memorable. <laughs> oh man! Okay, so, so it's a no for you. No, yeah, I'm. Yes, I was. Oh, just, okay. I was All right, you asshole. Yeah, I was just playing advocate. <laughs> Valid, but no. <laughs> uh, is it uniquely a part of the film's experience? Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. That score would work in City Slickers. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it would. Another mashup. <laughs> I think it would. It might. Another horses and like horses? what about Indiana <laughs> Jones and Toy Story? <laughs> Randy Newman as the person Randy that Newman scores Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones. Yeah, yeah. You got a friend in me. Come on, it's gonna roll. He's running away. Randy from, Newman from about natives it. holding the yeah. you know the the idol as he's running. They like, <laughs> just, like the Nazis' faces are melting. You got me. I love it. All right. Uh, <laughs> does it work with the film? Like, does it match tone? And I think absolutely. No, it should have been Danny Elfman doing this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, because he no, was no, no, Oingo no, no. Boingo at the time. Uh, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. So Oingo Boingo should have done this. I think this is actually Oingo still pre I think this is pre Oingo Boingo. I think this is when he's in the band before Oingo Boingo. In oh, no. oh, they're like the circus of Oingo Boingo or mm. something. No, no. It should have been Oingo Boingo and Randy Newman. <laughs> There oh we go. <laughs> I think my head just blew up. Uh, does it so it does work at the film? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, Bongo Bongo? No. No. <laughs> yes, it does. All right. <laughs> We're going all in on that one. All right. <clears throat> oh man. Uh, does the score aid in the storytelling of Indiana Jones? I mean, I like I, I mentioned my favorite scene. Absolutely, one hundred percent aids in the storytelling of that scene. Yeah, and at the beginning, you know, and yep. I just mentioned uh, earlier, we had that dark sound, and you knew that he was searching for something. And then when you added it to the movie, it's exactly what he was doing. He was searching for something. I, you know, I, I think it aids perfectly in the movie, especially um, throughout the movie too. It's consistent. It's not just yes. in pieces. Well, just, all right, just like that right there with the opening, with the whole jungle and the the boulder and everything else. And then when he jumps on the plane, you know, you get the dun, 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 dun. yeah. So yeah, it definitely aids in the storytelling. But is there an oboe? <laughs> In there somewhere. Probably. No oboe. 
Because he's got a woodwind section. He's just no oboe solo. <laughs> okay, well, it's in there. I'll give it a. I'll give it one anyway then. <laughs> All right. But I feel like I can hear it, but I don't know where. That's right. It's in there <laughs> somewhere. Um, all right. Does it stand on its own outside of the film? I'm going with yes. Jeff? You've got a yes. face. Yes. 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 <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. Yes. Question mark, explanation point, WTF. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I would say that main march definitely does. I don't um, know about the rest of the music. The rest of the score. I, I, I'm hesitant to give it a point here because the rest of the score is nice but it really is so connected to what's going on in the screen that i don't know that it would have the same sort of impact without, okay so for me. my my question is like so you guys may completely disagree with me but movies like last of the mohicans and pirates have scores that you listen to them and you're like that's the score of that movie and that they have like very epic scores oh, that you can listen dum, to them. And they like are regal and fun. And you listen to them and you're like, yeah, that's fuck. Yeah. I want to go on a ship and I want to sail across the ocean and I want to like fight pirates or I want to <laughs> dance with a woman underneath a waterfall with long hair. And sure. who's any, that guy? Any of those things. Daniel Day Lewis. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so those movies have like these really epic like sounds to them. I don't feel like this one has an epic sound other than that one march. Yeah, but personally, you know, I like the style of it. And uh, but they're like scores that Chris has put on that I just I got so bored with. And I'm like, man, I just wish you would change this. And granted, I'm not going to be mean and say, Chris, turn this off. She is. She's that mean. <laughs> As I punch him in the face, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there are instances where he's put scores on, and I'm like, this is like the most boring, you know, music I've ever heard in my life. But I happen to like this, so you know, to me, it's cool. Yeah. So sounds split. Uh, yeah, one finger for us. For you know, half each, a finger. That means a half. A yeah. half a finger. Half a finger okay. and half a finger missing over here. Yeah. Course, there's yeah. a lot more missing on this side of the uh, Zoom call <laughs> than just a finger. Going down the list of final scores <clears throat> in last place. Absolute last place. Indiana Jones. Dragon Slayer. Dragon Slayer. Okay. <laughs> With one and a half fingers. Because it's not played by Dragon Force. <laughs> Unless if it was. If it was Dragon Force, this would fingers. be fucking number at least, one. At least four fingers. Uh, then we have... Uh, I put abbreviations. Uh, then we have Ragtime with two and three quarters coming in at fourth. Coming in at third. Indiana Jones. On Golden Pond okay. with three whole fingers. <laughs> then just edging it out because that main Indiana theme Jones? that happens only at the beginning and the end was so grand for the second spot is Chariots of Fire, which means that the rightful winner of the Oscar of the 1982. Wait, hold on. Best I'm going to play. I'm going to play. Chariot's Fire right here. No, don't. don't no. Yeah, yeah, right here. We're going to no. play Chariot's Fire. Don't play. And get sued for don't. everything we have <laughs> to be able to play Chariot's Fire if you're gonna, right here. If you're going to play copywritten material, at least play from the composer who stole his material to begin with. Okay. <laughs> Go. Bold claims. Yeah. It just parted John Williams's hair. 
All of a sudden, you get an email or a letter in the mail. We are. We're going to get a cease and desist from. <laughs> and you do realize with the amount of John Williams. You do realize with the amount of music we've sung, we would get a cease and desist. Hey, I, I was uh, I was off by at least three keys for all of that. Randy yeah. Newman is going to hunt us all down. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. With the amount of Randy Newman for, for, uh, you like sung this, uh, tonight, we would be sued so hard. <laughs> If we get those cease and desist letters, he's gonna kill. He's gonna kill all of us and write a song about it. I shot him in the face. It's gold. Speaking of gold, wow. the winner of the 1982, the rightful winner of the 1982 Best Original Score Oscar is actually Raiders of the Lost Ark. The internet, go do your thing. Fix Wikipedia pages. Steal the Oscar. From Already did it. Vangelis Papafanisu, and and hand it right on over to John Williams. <clears throat> he deserved it for his fantastic score for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, and now that's that's fact. Now that's canon in in the world. And um, you know we don't make the rules. We just uh, we just enforce them. Enforce them definitely. You know, uh, but Raiders of the Lost Ark is now the actual winner of that Oscar. Congratulations. Thank you so much to Chris and Leslie of Measuring the Score podcast for coming on today. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. We had uh, fun. You you actually broke me into laughter, so we're good. Yeah, you broke Chris. <laughs> we won. Awesome. <laughs> Love it. Uh, go ahead and, and uh, plug all of your social media and where they can listen to your podcast. Uh, they can find us on every podcast, uh, you know, platform out there, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Deezer, uh, iHeartRadio, pretty much. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Measuring the Score Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Measure the Score. You can find us on Instagram. I think you just type in Measuring the Score. You'll find us on there. You can send us an email at MeasuringTheScore at gmail.com. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we're on Good Pods, Podchaser, you know, everywhere else, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had a lot of fun. We, we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Uh, we know it's probably getting pretty late, pretty late where you guys are. Um, that, yeah, just th thank you. That, that was a lot of fun. And, and honestly, um, <laughs> I, honestly, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark really shouldn't have uh, lost that Oscar. And, no. um, I swore Dragon Slayer would have won. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So switches go to Instagram at switch the envelope to follow us or on Twitter at switch envelope. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or pretty much anywhere else podcasts are streamed. Tune in next week where we hope to have a very special guest for you. All right, oh, everybody. That's our show. Thank, Thank you very much. much. Thank you for measuring the score, Chris and Leslie. <laughs> we appreciate it. We're a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Switch the Envelope is a Riff Laugh Media production. Each episode written and produced by Jeff and Corey. All episodes mixed by Jeff at Studio 85.